Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 301. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Landed FinTech. Before we start this episode, I want to tell you about a brand new event from Lended Fintech. Fintech Nexus, the Dealmakers Summit, will be the first major in-person fintech event of the past 18 months. A hand-curated audience of venture capitalists, bankers, fintechs, and debt investors will be meeting face-to-face at an event 100% focused on doing deals. It will be happening in Miami on September 1st and 2nd. You can apply to join and find out more at Lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Artem Milinchuk. He is the CEO and founder of Farm Together. Now, Farm Together is a super interesting company. They are focused on farmland, investing in farmland. They've created an investor platform where they've, they've got a system where they can just bring in, uh, it's for accredited investors right now, but pool investor capital together, purchase actual farms. Uh, investors then enjoy the cash flow and the and, and appreciation from these farms. We get into this process in some depth. We also talk about you know farmland as an asset class, how it's performed, how big it is, how many investors are, are investing right now. Uh, we talk about their underwriting process, how they find farms to acquire, what they're doing with technology. We talk about their business model and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Artem. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here. Great to have you. So, you know, I like to get these things started by giving the listeners some background uh, about yourself. Can you just give us some of the career highlights uh, before you started Farm Together? Absolutely. Before starting Farm Together in 2018, for 10 years, I was in finance mostly in the investing side with a strong focus on food and agriculture. I was at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which is now a $200 billion global Canadian pension fund. I was at Sprott, which is a natural resources focused investment fund. I also worked at a family office and at PwC ENY. So I had the opportunity to see the agriculture sector, the food sector, the farmland sector, both distributed geographically in different verticals. And so I think I have a really good 360 understanding of how everything is connected, everything works. And that's why I felt that I had a really right set of skills to start from together. Okay. And then, and so where did you grow up? What's your, where's your accent from? Uh, so born in, in Soviet Union, raised in Russia. Okay. I uh, did my bachelor's and master's in Moscow at high school of economics, which is a uh, sort of a joint venture or a, you know, a sister organization, if you will, of London School of Economics, a very academic economic education and really was inspired by the you know, right economics to bring wealth and prosperity to everyone and to wrong economics to bring you know, dismay and destruction. Right, okay. Yeah. And uh, so I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that always kind of drives me is how do we use the finance economics for good? And right. I moved to Canada in 2007 so I lived in Toronto for 10 years. Okay. Okay. So then what was it, you know, what was the founding story for Farm Together? Was there some sort of aha moment? You know, why did you decide to focus on farmland? There was an aha moment. I think this was in 2015 when I was at Ontario Teachers. And as I mentioned, it's a, a very diversified, very active investor. I mean, they go literally to the heights of space, to the depth of the oceans to find that alpha. 
<laughs> and I think I was reading an article by Julie Koeniger, who is you know, one of the godfathers or godmothers of <laughs> farmland investing. And she says, this is a $10 trillion asset class, and yet only 2% of this asset class is kind of owned by investors. And it blew my mind because when you look at farmland, it just is so, so attractive. And we'll talk about why, but just so attractive to a pension fund, but really to everyone. And yet it's, it's, it wasn't invested into or owned by any kind of investor. It's literally under our feet. And then, you know, 2015, 2016, it's already when people are starting to get really serious about climate change. I think the Paris Accords were signed. Ontario Teachers is, uh, as always, was at the forefront of this. ESG was already something used inside our organization. Um, and farmland is just a absolutely incredibly powerful lever for impacting those you know, sustainable development goals, mm-hmm. uh, climate change, feeding the planet sustainably. And so it just, it, it's rarely in finance, you find a whole asset class that hasn't been developed yet. And I just, you know, couldn't resist being <laughs> right. the person that would, you know, build, build that asset class. Right, right. Very interesting. So then, so maybe you could just give us a sense of the the state of you know the american farmland economy you know i always when i think about farmland you know i i think about big corporations owning you know the, owning these farms but so what 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 percentage or do you have, what is it like between you know individual you know small farmers versus these huge corporate huge corporations so that is actually a fairly common misconception no offense to anyone, but it is a, a common misconception. Uh, 98% of US farmland is owned by families. Wow. Uh, this is all very much a family affair. And 70% of farmland is actually in farms, uh, less than $10 million in value. So this is both in terms of dollar value, in terms of acreage size. So this is very fragmented market where most of it is, is a family business. Hmm. That's really interesting. So then... So you said like two percent of investors own this asset class, and it's 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 obviously it's a massive asset class. Two percent of farmland is owned yeah. by investors. Yeah. So what what do you have some stats on like what has been the historical performance of this asset class? Yeah. So we have good information going back to the sixties, nineteen sixties. Farmland, on average, increased by five point nine percent a year in terms of value of land. Now we have bad information starting from 1991, which is the NCRI Farmland Index. This is an institutional quality index composed of sophisticated institutional investors such as Prudential and Nuveen uh, that tracks both income and price appreciation of land. So that index since 1991 to today has delivered about 11% in total annualized returns every year. So this is uh, both the income from land that comes through either direct operations or rent and the price appreciation component. And in that, land has outperformed stocks, uh, bonds, infrastructure, gold, CPI, really has done tremendously well. Hmm. Interesting, really interesting. So then, so then you say investors have been typically shut out. I mean, have... I, I can't think of this off my head if there are REITs focused on farmland. Um, I mean, but what, what, how have investors accessed this asset class? There are two REITs, uh, but um, given the size of the space, it's still just a drop in the bucket. 
Right. There are also some large institutional funds aimed at you know, pension funds, endowments, foundations. There are a number of smaller private funds, but typically the minimum check sizes are 250,000, 500, a million. So they're really besides those two reads, which have you know, its own set of complexities and idiosyncrasies, there hasn't been a way for someone to invest into farmland in a custom way with a low minimum. So at Farm Together, our minimum is oftentimes 10, 15,000. Uh, we're looking uh, in the future to make this accessible to everyone where your minimum check size could be as low as a dollar. Uh, it just takes time. You know, there's a lot of organizational administrative complexity. And so the, that's part of the reason why this asset class really hasn't been on anyone's radars for a long time. Right, right, right. Interesting. So, so then let's just let's just step back and talk about how the process works. What what can you explain the mechanics of of how investors are able to invest in farmland through Farm Together? So it's it's very simple. You go to a website farmtogether.com and straight away we have a lot of educational materials that are easy to digest, easy to understand. Those materials talk about the asset class, how the investments work, historical performance. You can take a look at past deals. You can take a look at past webinars, uh, listen to podcasts such as this one, because <laughs> uh, we really think that part of our job is to educate people and do it in an accessible way. And that's a lot of the resources I put into that at Farm Together. Once you register, you then uh, get on a email list where we announce every new deal. A lot of deals sell out very quickly. So we are looking to bring more deals to the platform, bring larger deals. And that's been a bit of a challenge because recently we you just the deals sell out so quickly, people don't have time to actually read through the material. So we're working on that. When the deal launches, we will do a webinar. We'll have time for Q&A. You have time to review the material. So we changed our process. And once you're ready, you have to pass accreditation. Right now, unfortunately, we can only accept accredited investors. So this is people with income of two, 300,000 or net worth of at least 1 million. And after you are accredited, you go through the document signing process. Everything is done online. Uh, you can complete it in a matter of minutes. And then you can either wire or ACH your funds. So really we try to make it very easy to invest. Uh, Peter, before we started uh, the recording, we're talking about Alto IRA, so the IRA providers. Right. You can invest through a lot of different IRAs as well. You can invest through a trust. You can invest as a uh, joint uh, investor with, with your partner, your spouse. So there's a lot of different structures through which you can invest. Uh, there are certain tax benefits that Farmland provides. And so people really try to not just invest as an individual, but look for tax optimization uh, strategies as well. And right. we accommodate all of that. And then once you invest, your investment will be seen in your portfolio, in your overview page. You will receive quarterly updates, your K1s electronically. You can always ask us questions. So it's really, we try to make it so that if you don't want to, you never have to talk to us ever again. <laughs> but if you want to, there's information and materials available to you on the website in an accessible right. format. Right, right. Yeah, and I should also tell the listeners, I, I actually, I have an Alto IRA account and I have invested in uh, two deals with Farm Together. So I do, I have sort of had this process uh, firsthand, but maybe, and so just so we just, I just want to close the loop on that. So when you, do you actually, does Farm Together purchase the farm 
first and you, you, you do the deal. I know you create like a, a new LLC with each, with each deal. How, how does that process work acquiring the farmland? You're correct. Each deal is put into its own Delaware LLC. The LLC has a management agreement with Farm Together. And the LLC, from an administrative perspective, is managed by a third party called Assure that prepares K1s that uh, sort of takes care of the admin side of things. And so this is what we call a bankruptcy remote structure. Now, Farm Together is well capitalized. We're earning revenue. We're going to be around for a long time. This is just an additional layer of safety that you can take comfort in knowing that every farm is in its own entity. Uh, and the way it works from a purchase perspective is that a farm together enters into an escrow agreement with the seller. Typically, we have 45 to 90 days to complete due diligence and gather the capital. So we put the package together, put it on the website and collect the capital during that escrow period. Uh, so far, we have closed every deal except one that we put on the platform. And the only reason we did not close that deal was because due diligence did not pan out. So it's rare, but it happens. That what, that's what you do due diligence for. But generally, uh, as I mentioned, deals syndicate very quickly. And so we don't have a need like some other platforms to have you know this warehouse facility to pre-buy the farms. Uh, and what it means is that we don't have to charge our investors as much in the way of fees because we don't carry the cost of that warehouse facility. Right, right. And then, so when you, but you, so you, you acquire the farm through the investors acquire the farm you know, through the LLC. What, what's the expected hold time on them? I mean, like farms can obviously, some of them are held for generations, but what, what is the expected, you know, hold time for the property? And I would say the holding farms for generations, probably the best way to invest in farms, but I know that most people have shorter time horizons. So most of our deals are at 10-year hold. Mm-hmm. Having said that, we are working on a liquid secondary market so that you could trade in and out of your farm maybe every year, every quarter. And we have facilitated a couple uh, secondary deals uh, already where people were able to exit you know, the investments in the farm. So we're working on a full broker-dealer license, long-term uh, ATS license to be able to do this in a massive, you know, accessible to everyone manner. And so do you have different criteria for a, for a farm that you'll acquire? I mean, I, I've seen a lot of the ones come onto your platform, but you know, these typically it seems like you're focusing on, on high value crops like citrus or almonds and that sort of thing. I mean, what, what, what is it that, you know, because I haven't seen, maybe you do have, but I haven't seen any like, you know, dairy cattle or something like that, that uh, you know, you've, what, what are the criteria that you're using? So, Indeed, in, in farmland, you have broadly oh, three types of land, or three mm-hmm. types of farming. You have, I guess, four. So you would have uh, dairy, you would have cropland, growing crops, like the ones in my background, the corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, as well as permanent crops, uh, trees, citruses. You have pasture land, which is land that makes money by renting out it for grazing to cattle. And then you have cattle operations, so where it's you know growing uh, animals for meat. We only focus on crops, and that is because well, one, it's a huge market. Our estimates are 1.5, 1.7 trillion out of the two and a half trillion dollars in the United States. Uh, it's also 
uh, crops that have the uh, also the type of farming and has one of the highest returns, especially if you know what you're doing. And we do. Our team comes from very institutional backgrounds in permanent crop and raw crop investing. And lastly, it's just a, I think, the, the side of farming that has the best tailwinds. So dairy right now has a lot of challenges with oversupply. Right. Um, grazing land and and pasture sort of pasture land as well as kind of cattle issues with supply also i think some headwinds from people you know switching more and more from meat-based diets to or like red meat to chicken or to vegetable proteins and and you know it's just it's such a huge space that you have to kind of pick what you're good at and we're playing in a huge 1.7 trillion dollar market so kind of going to stick there for a while, but long-term, absolutely. I mean, Farm Together will definitely do all of those things. It's just picking the right age and time when to do it. Right, right. Okay. And so, you know, these crops, most of these crops, I presume, are, you know, they, they harvest once a year. Are you, like, how, how do the cash flows work to investors when, uh, you know, when, when harvest happens and uh, how, like, obviously the 10 year hold, you know, you'll get your principal back after 10 years, hopefully with appreciation expected, obviously. But what about, um, how's it, how does it cash flow? You're correct. The cash flow comes from the harvest or from rent. So there's two types of deals that we broadly put together. There's one where, the land is rented out by the farmer and you receive some sort of rent, maybe some sort of revenue share, but you don't have as much exposure to the farming business itself, to what happens with the weather, to what happens with the crop prices. And those are typically low risk, low return type of investments. On the other spectrum, you have a direct operated farm where we will contract with a farmer that will operate it and receive a payment the operations, but will not take any risk on what happens to you know the harvest, the weather, and you take on all the risk. And in those cases, the profit of the farm that comes from the harvest is what drives the dividend that year. And so those typically are more volatile, but on average will be expected to yield higher returns versus you know the type one investment. And I presume you have like insurance because I mean obviously being in farmland. Uh, yeah, you know, whether anything could happen with the weather, uh, particularly these days, how are you protecting investors? Yes, we we take take out all the insurance that is valuable and that is makes sense from a business perspective. Right, right, okay, okay. So then, when you're selecting, you said you got a one point seven trillion dollar market, and I imagine there's farms coming on up for sale all the time. How do you approach the underwriting process? What do you look for that, that will, well, what causes you to, to, to sort of say no to one, to a deal and what causes you to say yes? Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let me run you through it. We start with selecting the end markets that we think have structural advantages from the perspective of being United States, because that's what all our farmland is and that have long-term tailwinds. For example, most nuts have excellent tailwinds. You have this mega trend of snacking. They're healthy. Uh, people switching more and more to plant-based diets and the supply is constrained. It is hard to add additional supply. It takes years to grow trees. Climate is very important. Like almonds really only grow in, in California, in Central Valley, in, in the, sorry, in the uh, kind of Almond Valley, like Merced County, Sacramento, sort of the 
yeah, the, the east northeast part of California. Uh, so we, we select for that. Then we look at the geographies that make sense for those particular crops. And open times, California is the place to be, even with all the news right now about a drought. And by the way, California goes through droughts all the time. Uh, we underwrite for that. And that takes me to the next point. Water is very important. So a lot of farms, you have to underwrite for water. We do that really well. After that, you analyze the local kind of, analyze the farms on the local level. This will be everything from soil to leaf to the presence of uh, local ecosystem enabling farming, such as suppliers, workers, things like that, infrastructure. So it's really, we have almost a hundred point checklist that we go through on every farm. It, it's quite a process and a lot of our technology, because Farm Together is a technological company, is actually built around that. It's increasing the speed and quality of finding, underwriting, buying, and managing a farm. Interesting. Interesting. Can you, can you say more about that? Like the, you know, imagine there's all kinds of data, data sources out there, um, but what specifically are you doing on, on a tech, um, you know, for, to applying tech to underwriting? Tech is critical in unlocking this market and in bringing capital to farmers. And that is because if we go back to what I said initially about the market, it is a very fragmented market and a very opaque market. So the other reason this asset class hasn't really been accessible yet is because most of existing funds and large funds, they're just not really set up to access what is a very fragmented market. If you think about a traditional fund, once they hit a couple billion, now they really have to invest in farms that are 100 million plus in size because otherwise right. it just doesn't move the needle for them. And that shuts out for them most of the market. Whereas we can do $5 million farms all day long because we're building the tech that allows us to do that. So the tech is as follows. It is uh, satellite data. It is aerial imagery. It is on-farm data from this emerging ACTAC sensors, weather sensors. It's uh, the uh, remote management capability because there's better and better internet. Now Starlink is up and running. Broadband is being introduced to farms. You're able to actually do it more remotely. And it's also collecting literally from hundreds of data sources information about the land because also it differs by county. Mm-hmm. Very, very fragmented information sets as well, data sets. And it'll be things like scanning through documents and meeting minutes of the local water boards and water districts. It'll be collecting local information from uh, the county. It'll be literally sometimes going to the library or going to you know the local record keepers to scan documents. So we're creating also a proprietary data asset that will allow us to get better and better with every farm. And that's where I think really the flywheel for Farm Together as a business starts turning is that the more farms we invest in, the more information we collect, uh, the better we get at this. You know, if we, if we do almond farm number 50, you can imagine that I think we'll know much more and be able to move much quicker and provide much better value added insights to the farmers, to the operators, to perform better on the farms. There's a lot of advantages that come into having this business model that allows us to do a lot of deals aimed at different investors in different markets quickly. Right, right. And what about like, do you have, do you have sort of a filter for organic versus non-organic? Does that, does that even matter? I imagine a lot of the organic farms are pretty small, but uh, how do you kind of land on, on that spectrum? 
definitely matters. So the mission of Farm Together, really why people should care about why we exist is that we want to bring transformative creative capital to farmers because we need to transition our agriculture to sustainability. And we also need to increase the yields because the biggest problem that we face as a planet is that by 2050, we won't be able to feed the population. We either need to clear or add more land to farmland that will be the size of India, almost 1.5 billion acres. And by the way, US has only 900 million acres. And at today's trajectory, the yield improvement is not enough to feed the population. It's not enough. And so we need to move to organic, to regenerative, to sustainable agriculture as a planet. That is kind of the big mission. Of course, your farm together is not the only one doing this, but we view part of our mission to bring capital to farmers. So we absolutely filter as much as we can for organic, for sustainable, for regenerative. Those are all, you know, they're not one-to-one, they're not interchangeable definitions, but they all move the needle. So as much as possible, we try to do those kind of value-added deals. Like we, right. we, we do, yeah. So that, that's absolutely a filter, Peter. Okay, okay. And then so when you're sourcing these deals, I mean, how, like what's, what's the cadence of adding uh, new deals onto your platform? And as you mentioned, I know that they, uh, they fill up pretty quickly on the investor side. I've seen that myself firsthand. But so what, what's the cadence there that you're trying to, that you have now? And what, what are you trying to get to? So we used to have a deal a month. Um, now we're getting to deal every two weeks. And then we'd like to get to a deal every week, as well as maybe having multiple deals on the platform. At the same time, we don't want to compromise our underwriting. Mm-hmm. And so it is either, especially as we grow, there's a lot of investors that want farmland. And we, of course, start with the best possible deals. And then we keep going down, down, down. And as you know, a good investment, a big function of that, especially in real estate, is the price. Right. So I think what we'll see as we bring more investors to the platform is that it still be good farms from a farming perspective, but as we grow, the returns will have to come down a little bit, the target returns, because um, I think farmland just is an excellent diversifier, excellent protect against inflation, but you you kind of you cannot always have deals that are fifteen percent IRR. Right. So typically, our deals are nine to eleven, and so they'll have to kind of come down to something that is a bit more in line with real estate, with some other safer investments, because. As you know, we printed now trillions of dollars of money in the last 12 months. That capital needs to go somewhere. It's flowing into more assets. Assets are all bit up. Bubbles are inflating like the one in crypto that just burst. And farmland, I think, it still hasn't seen that inflow of capital. Right, so, right. So then, so then you, what, what, are you, what are your growth constraints right now? Are you more constrained by, you know, by finding new deals or investor capital, what's, the, what, what's, what's holding you back? It's the deals. So we're investing, we hired uh, just recently more people on the investment side. We're creating more and more partnership with operators, with farmers, and we're also expanding the type of deals that we're able to do. Because really from a farmer perspective, from kind of the society perspective, our reason to exist is to bring creative capital to farming, which doesn't always have to be buy a farm outright. It can be something else. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so then what, what's your business model? I mean, how, how are you actually making, making money on this? It's pretty simple. We charge uh, management fees um, every year, and then we charge 
uh, at closing a one-time fee. And then uh, we're starting to introduce performance-based fees as well. Right. You don't have performance-based fees yet? We had on the last deal, we actually have a performance-based fee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then can you, can you give us some sense of the scale? Like how many, how many deals have you, have you done to date? We don't disclose that uh, fully, but I can tell you that it's, <laughs> I think we are approaching a couple dozen now. Right. And in terms of total amount of deals, we're approaching a hundred million. Okay. Okay. And so then are you like, what about on the, on the equity side of your business? Like how, how have you been able to raise money? Tell us about the, that process in, uh, you know, in trying to get your, get the capital for your company established? So we are venture backed. Our main backers include Blue Seed Collective in New York, Franklin Templeton. We also have some really great uh, former founders, people who exited their business that uh, help us. And we have angels from tag, ag, uh, finance, real estate, really a lot of people that I think know the space well. So we have a pretty a good bench of backers. And uh, that's how we've been financed to date. Right, right. Um, but I would, are you not, you're not profitable yet, I take it, right? It, you know, profitability is an interesting question. I would say <laughs> that we are, I call it cautiously profitable. So if we were to not invest into heavy R&D, into growth that will only pay off in two, three years, then we could be profitable today. Right. But we are choosing to invest. That's what venture capital is for, is for growth, because the... The problems that we're facing are important need to be faced today. So we would rather take on you know, some capital now and pay with it with future growth versus sort of go at a slower pace. Right, right. Okay. So, so last question then, what, what are you working on now? Like what, how, how do you see the, the company evolving over the next uh, year or two? So we plan to introduce at least a pilot of a secondary market. We plan to add more farms in uh, other geographies and crops. We plan to add more uh, tools for investors to oversee the investments, just make it really easy to integrate with whatever tools you're using to manage your total investment portfolio. We are already have and are implementing ESG compliance. Um, this is a standard called leading harvest that is a sustainability standard for farms. I think those are the major initiatives right. over the next 12 months. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Artem. It's been great chatting with you today. You know, best of luck. I think you do have a noble mission there. And I think it's something that uh, you know, I think investors are going to be very interested in. And it's a great, it's a great diversifier. That's what I got into. It's a great diversifier for a portfolio. So Thank you, Peter. best of luck. Thank you. It's really curious to me that an asset class, the size of farmland, it's, it's, it's way bigger than say personal loans, it's way bigger than small business loans, it's bigger than than most asset classes, and yet there has not been an easy way for investors to get access to this uh, really until now. And I, I, I'm, I really like what Farm Together has done. I, as I said, I'm an investor myself. I like the diversification that it provides. I think it's great I'm wrapping it into an IRA, which is what I do, and making it uh, you know grow all grow tax free. It's obviously a long term investment. This is not. I mean, I think people who get into it should be willing to hold this for, for 10 plus years. That's certainly my, uh, how I view it. And uh, I, I think, you know, 
I, I see many more investors. I mean, really, we all should be having some exposure to, to this huge asset class, I think, if you want to have a truly diversified portfolio. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Before we go, I want to remind you about the brand new event from Lended Fintech. Fintech Nexus, the Dealmakers Summit, will be the first major in-person fintech event of the past 18 months. A hand-curated audience of venture capitalists, bankers, fintechs, and debt investors will be meeting face-to-face at an event 100% focused on doing deals. It will be happening in Miami on September 1st and 2nd. You can apply to join and find out more at lendit.com.